For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Back here on the Northland Sports Page, hour number two already. Brian Prudhomme, Dave Cook. Time does fly when you're having fun, Dave Cook. And it flies every week, and we have fun every week. Thanks to our great sponsors. Yeah, it's crazy, Brian. It's almost like the first hour didn't happen. Aurora Architecture Studio, Hoops Brewing, OAR Holdings, Sammy's Pizza, Advantage Emblem and Screen Printing, Justin May at Messina & Associates, Avenue 45, The Blackwoods Group, Brian Bement Mortgages with Supreme Lending, Mount Royal Bottle Shop, Kohler Toyota and Kohler Hyundai, Stewart's Bike Sports and Trophies in the Incline Station, and Brian, before we dive in too far, I want to make sure that we recognize all the girls' teams that are in the area for the icebreaker tournament, it's it's a big yeah. deal in town. It certainly is. So the town is very busy with lots of hockey players. That's not any different than any other time of year, really, up here. Because you've talked to me about summer hockey being just as big of a deal. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting, and we've talked with Casey Yoder about this. How much money the sport of hockey brings into our community? Right, it's crazy. The hotels live on it. The restaurants live on it. The establishment, Mount Royal uh, Bottle Shop, probably does really good business during the tournaments. I was going to say, Hoops Brewing has become kid-friendly, so they'll be busy as well. Absolutely. You can play ping pong there. So when you talk about the state of the city, hockey might come up a little bit, but we're going to do a state of the union, our own little mock versions, for each of the four major Minnesota sports teams on the men's side. I feel like we leave out the links, but we don't have to say much about the state of the links because their management is the most stable. Their ownership, thanks to that, has been the most stable. Their winning has been the most consistent. Yeah, and you know we talk about we talk about Belichick, and we talk about you know different coaches. We've got our own, right? We do have our own. That's the thing people forget is that is that Cheryl Reeve is Bill Belichick of the WNBA. She's the deal, absolutely. The measuring stick. Well, and I think the comparison's even better now because the Lynx haven't been necessarily championship level recently. But I feel like when you match up with the Lynx, everybody goes, "Well, they're never out of it because of Cheryl Reeve." Now we're into the playoffs for football and the Patriots aren't there. But going down to that final Sunday, people were like, well, they're going to be around because of Bill Belichick. That's the Cheryl Reeve treatment. Right. If you think about it, the conspiracy NFL conspiracies is the NFL does things to make sure two teams get in, New England and Green Bay, and neither of them are in. I was going to say, Roger Goodell's having an emergency meeting come Monday because, wait a minute, we played the first weekend (laughs) of the NFL playoffs and neither one of them were there. But the Minnesota Vikings are, and that's really kind of the basis of the State of the Union for them, at least, because... I don't know if it's the state of the Vikings as much as what needs to happen tomorrow to make sure the state of the Vikings doesn't end with one playoff game. Yeah, I I agree, Brian. I think the state of the union for the Vikings is a little bit uh, grander than that. But I think the impact of the franchise right now is all about, you know, tomorrow's game. The the thing is, if you look at the if you look at how it's laid out and the injuries and the quarterback play and all that, there's I mean, this is one of those years where you look at it. And you don't have to look at it real hard to say if the Vikings come out a Saturday, they got a real shot. Well, they'll come out a Saturday because they don't play till tomorrow. Well, Sunday, you know. So what it I mean. depends. Maybe it starts on, with an S. Well, always gets confusing. And maybe it does depend on who comes out a Saturday because do you go to San Francisco next week or do you get a chance to host somebody? Because if San Francisco wins, it's that simple. That's where Minnesota goes. Again, assuming they win, which we cannot assume. We'll right. dive into that later. But it's possible, despite a three seed, that two home games could be on the docket. A hundred percent. That's what I mean. I mean, there's no, 
with Jalen Hurts' injury. Did you see that, though? I saved your error big time. We made it into a segue. Yes. Well, that you're I, welcome. And sometimes I don't even pick up on that stuff, right? Shocking. <laughs> uh, Moving along. So anyways, uh, with Brock Purdy, right, you don't know what you're going to get. San Francisco's defense is ridiculous. Right. But you really don't know what you're going to get. Is Geno Smith going to turn back into a pumpkin? Right. Dax has not been great this year. Right. Um, so we guy, talked about all that in hour one during our wild card predictions. What do right. we need to do as our own team in the watch your own bobber wow. segment? Because right. the state of the Vikings probably should pertain to them at some point. Yeah. No, and it right. is going to be a big one come Sunday. Here's the question that I have. What's the more important unit, offense or defense? Everybody's going to say, well, the defense, because defense wins championships and they need to improve. I'm not sure. I think it's the offense continuing to carry them because if the defense falters, yeah. you're going to shrug your shoulders and say, what would you expect? If the offense falters, we're in trouble. No, I, I agree, Brian. I think the most important unit of the whole weekend is the Vikings offensive line um, because you're right. The defense is, you know, when they say the defense needs to improve, man, it's the playoffs. The defense is who they are, right? right. They're not going to improve much. The offense has been carrying them all year long and they need to continue to carry them. Is there any chance, even though we both just kind of said, shrug your shoulders and take what you get from the defense because they've done it all year, albeit in a poor fashion, but it's veteran-laden for the most part. It's not as young as people like to say. Is there any chance that veterans elevate their game? Because you hear that all the time. Sure, but let's look at our veterans. I mean, who's going to elevate? Peterson's played great. When um, when Harrison's been in, he's played great. Uh, Smith has played fantastic as an outside linebacker. Um, you know, I suppose Hunter could up his game. The linebackers could up their game. Well, wait a minute. If all of those veterans have been tremendous, as you've said, and I don't necessarily disagree, how bad are the other spots? Because I don't know that it's that simple. I think it's schematically not very good because Zadarius, I think, was good for about half a season. Daniel Hunter with his hand in the ground is better. Daniel Hunter with a 3-4 hasn't been that wonderful. E.K. Eric Kendricks, probably one of his worst seasons, to be honest. Yep, but we've talked about this ad nauseum throughout the year. You can't just throw a, a schematic change and keep the same players. Right. Right. And, we sure and, tried it, though. And, and exactly. But that's one of the reasons that they are where they are. You've got two linebackers that really don't have any, you know, elite mobility anymore. Kendricks did three, four years ago. Right. So there's this gigantic hole behind linebackers in front of safeties. Right. But you're right. Look at the off off cornerback. You know, let's pick on Duke Shelley's been great but we picked Duke well, Shelley off of he wasn't the off corner to start the year it was Cam Dantzler for a while and we didn't know what Shannon Sullivan was going to be as a slot corner and Evans I don't think we hurt. still know a Caleb Evans was a stud but for about a game and a quarter yep and injuries have certainly been part of it you're right but when you look at Sunday specifically maybe the corners can stand out a little bit better because the Giants wide receiver core doesn't scare you right but is it as simple as this for the defense and we'll get to the offense in a moment because we just said they're going to be more important but is it as simple as find Saquon Barkley in this game can end for you if you do it right? Well, yeah, I think that's. But you have, I think you have to be aware of the running game because Daniel Jones is right. I, I, here's the mobility the of their quarterback. It wouldn't be surprising if tomorrow is the is the um, the other safety, Josh um, Metellus. Mar- yes, it could be his coming out game because see, I don't think don't, he'll play that much as a safety here, because it's going to be Bynum and Harrison Smith for the most listen, part. Though, it's it you're you're missing my point. Uh, the other linebacker, the kid linebacker, is awesome. Yeah, his knee is a little ticked off, and we talked about the two linebackers not having a lot of. If you put Martellus in there, he might be your spy on Daniel Jones as a linebacker, right? So he's going to be that rover kind of linebacker thing, and maybe they pick on him then and run Barkley right at him. But they need somebody who's aware of Daniel Jones all the time, right? And he's the biggest one that they have left. So you've got two first-year coaches. 
in Brian Dable and Kevin O'Connell. Yep. You've got two teams that just met on Christmas Eve. That wasn't that long ago. Right. Who does that favor in that sense? Because if it was, you just mentioned Belichick to start the segment. If it was Belichick versus KOC and you're going, you gave Belichick three more weeks to prepare for the same opponent, it'd be trouble. You've got two rookies in terms of coaching. Is there any advantage? Is it as simple as, well, the team at home has the advantage? How about your D coordinator? Uh, Wink Martindale. Do we have to to talk about ours? I'd rather talk about Wink Martindale. Terrific game show host, by the way, back in the day. He's going to come after the Vikings. Right. And he will have had a chance to see some of their base schemes. Now, honestly, and as weird as this is going to sound, Brian, Irv Smith might be a a deal on the offense. Well, it might have to be. The double tight ends, whether it's Irv with TJ or whether it's Munt with TJ or whether it's Munt with Irv, but I think that'd be rare. You know, with the banged-up offensive line, although Garrett Bradbury's set to play, but Brian O'Neill obviously can't. Do you chip or do you do double tight ends? Because blitzes are coming because the Giants, as you said, do it so much. Right. Nope. But the Giants are the worst team in the NFL at covering tight ends. And so if you have two that can catch and go, that helps them a lot. And if if you're running shallow crosses because a linebacker's coming on blitzes, pretty soon you're going to make that – you're going to really impact their defensive style. But they're like you said, they're coming. And right. so the offensive line needs to play well. But if we break through that, if we get past the blitz and we we figure out how to beat that, I think the Vikings should be favored by a lot. I think it's possible because that feels weird to say, but I do think a lot of different strategies could favor the Vikings if they do it right. Now, the Giants are also one of the worst defenses in the league against the run. If you remember Christmas Eve morning, we did an early show because of the game that day. And I said, this has got to be a Delvin day. Everything points to it. The Vikings actually threw the ball a ton that day because that's KOC's bread and butter. That's this team's identity, what have you. And Hawkinson had a lot of reception. He certainly did. Both he and Jefferson, I believe, were targeted something close to 16 times apiece. Yep, yep. Is this going to be that different? Is it going to be finally where KOC goes, you know, Delvin's got a chance to be pretty good. Let's let him. Well, it's it's also the best way to beat the blitz is a draw play, right? So if if they continue to blitz and blitz and blitz, it really should be a good Dalvin day. You just got to get him into the next level. And now he's got safeties and cornerbacks to beat. So what's your biggest fear other than history? I'm going to take history off the table. I wrote a column about, you know, is this obvious or is this oblivious as to what in the world could happen with the Vikings? You can check that out on Northlandfan.com. What's your biggest fear tomorrow? Because historically you can say, well, the Vikings in any big spot doesn't go well because history taught us that Daniel Jones is not a bad quarterback, but he's not a good quarterback. The national media has basically said the Vikings are ripe to be on upset alert, and we get it because they've pulled out so many improbable close victories, and when they've been bad, they've been bad. But there's nothing that absolutely I stare at and go, this is why the Vikings are going to lose. But at the same time, there's nothing I stare at and go, this is why the Vikings are going to win. What's your biggest fear first? No, my, my biggest fear is that instead of coming complete blitz the entire game like they did against them on um, Christmas Eve, that they all of a sudden decide they're going to lay back their linebackers because the Vikings' biggest advantage is that shallow cross, whether it is the receivers or, in this case, in my point, it's going to be Hawkinson or Smith, right? Um, if if Wink Markendale has decided to... It's Wink Markendale, right, but right, I like right, it better that way. Joker's wild here on the Northland if, Sports page. If, uh, if they figure and they run a little bit more zone... Now the Vikings are really going to have to adjust on the fly. And that's where the confusion can come in. You know, what did KOC call at the beginning of the year? Intelligent confusion or whatever it was. Controlled chaos, essentially. Something like that. And um, if that's what the Giants bring, I think the Vikings are in a little bit of trouble. Their offensive line is the key to this whole game. I agree with you, except for my only addition to that would be my biggest fear is that it becomes like the first five, six weeks of the season where 
If you do anything in the middle of the field, I don't care if you have the best wide receiver in the game or a nondescript wide receiving core like the Giants do have. But all of a sudden, schematically, the middle of the field was wide open and something called Hodgins, I think it was Isaiah Hodgins, who had a good game on Christmas Eve, is running wild in the middle of the field because we're blowing assignments or we're concerned with blitzing and, you know, there's just a gaping hole. If that happens, it could be a long day. Right. If they look like they look like Philly right away, it could be a long day. That's my fear. My fear of this game is either the Vikings are going to win by 10 or less or they're going to get clobbered. And and that is, I think that's legit. I don't think the Giants beat them close. See, I don't think so either, but I think you're half right because everything points to a close game. The Vikings have played a ton and the second most has been played by the Giants. So everything says, well, this will come down to whoever has the ball last. And if somebody makes a stop, they win. If somebody gets a score, they win. I think because everything points to the obvious, somebody's going to get blown out. And either it's going to be the Vikings play their best game of the season and they're that much better on paper than the Giants, I believe that, or it's another major clunker by the Vikes. We've had a few. I think that's my point. I think that if they show up, if the Vikings show up, I think they're better. I think they win. But I don't think that I think that the the players and the strengths of each team are so opposite that I don't think the Vikings run away with it. But the Vikings no show like they did against Dallas. Um, yeah, the, the Giants aren't bad. Right. I just worry that, the, and of course, this is the Minnesota sports fan, right? I worry that the Vikings no-show early and the Giants are all of a sudden up 21 nothing, and we're, we're playing catch-up. All right, so how much can we do on the state of the Minnesota Twins in about five minutes? Or if we need to, we can spill it over into segment two because, quite frankly, the state of the Twins took an interesting curve this week, or did it, because Carlos Correa is back. So it's interesting in the fact that he's here. But how interesting is it to the big picture? Because... Yes, it's good. It's better than not having a shortstop, and it's having one of the best shortstops in the game. But it's also returning to what you had last year. So this isn't a freakishly big addition. This is back to where your offseason technically started. So I, under the Twins, I had confused hope because, you know, it's been such a, a whirlwind that there's some hope there, but I'm not sure exactly why. Here's the lesson, Brian. There's one lesson, and we've heard it our whole life. Get a second opinion from a second doctor. Because the Giants right. and the Mets used the same doctor to pick uh, pick apart the uh, MRI that Correa had. How do they think they were going to get a different diagnosis? Well, and how do you change the narrative on this? Because people will say, you know, bleeping cheap poll ads because everybody says it. Well, now they can say, well, we just gave a guy $200 million over six years. How are we cheap? But really, you threw money at the same guy you threw money at a year ago. Are you technically spending or are you just re-upping? It's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But I want to know what it means now, because when Carlos Correa signed, I said to you, okay, now what? In a positive light. When Carlos Correa was supposedly gone, we all went, ah, now what? It's the same phrase. It's a different tone. You remember what we learned about baseball really early? The key to a baseball team is strong defense up the middle. Right. right? When healthy, they have that. When healthy, they're really good there. Because the new catcher guy is an outstanding defensive player. Correa, outstanding. Buxton might be the best center fielder in the league. And the, the whole thing leans on um, Jorge to be healthy, right? Well, all of those players to be healthy, because if you think Byron well, Buxton is going to play 150 games, it's, yeah. it's a little silly. I'm curious what it means in terms of transactions that could be pending. Max Kepler's name's been floated around. Luis Arise, I hope not, but his name's been floated around. I'm real curious if six years comes to fruition, what are you doing with Royce Lewis? What are you doing with Brooks Lee? Because they're not ready now due to either inexperience or injury. But six years from now, they're going to be going, hello, where, where do we go in this organization? Yeah, they said Brooks Lee when they drafted him probably wasn't going to stick at shortstop. So maybe that's your future. I was going to say, there's your green light to move him. Yeah, absolutely. Lewis, I agree. I, I don't know what they do with Royce. Um, 
you know, I've said it since he got injured. So you decided to play your shortstop of the future right. in center field. But now, is he the shortstop of the future? I would say he might be the left fielder of the future, and maybe they should have been playing him. Or do they do something as simple as what the Mets were going to do and have Carlos Correa play third base later in his career? Maybe. And then does Jose Miranda, if he's still a productive twin, either go somewhere for pitching or does he go to the opposite corner of the infield? Probably. If he's if he's still around because he's performed, he's obviously their first baseman. And then, of course, but, what do you say to the naysayers that, you know, we're excited about Carlos Correa being back. My excitement is tempered because we've already seen it. He's great, no question. How much greater does he make this team? We'll find out. Yeah. All the naysayers are going to say, what day does he pitch? It's it's a tired take, but I understand yeah, it. But, Brian, today is Saturday. We know that the Twins went out and signed pitching last night. They extended Chris Paddock. Now, right. imagine when 2024 comes, looks yeah, tremendous. Imagine when he comes back in July with his new contract and his new elbow, and we'll see how he does. Can you believe they extended the guy with that's had multiple Tommy Johns? Well, I do to a certain extent because, you know, they're just banking on the future and team control is important. But everybody can say, and I wrote this in the same column, I comboed the Vikings and Twins yesterday. Thank you. Everybody can say if healthy, they're pretty good. And everybody can say if this guy gets hurt, we're in a tough spot. The problem is the Twins pitching staff seems to be made of glass. Kenta Maeda, when healthy, pretty good. Bailey Ober, when healthy, pretty good. Tyler Malley, we've heard he's pretty good when healthy. We got him for what, two starts? Yep, two starts and and a bottle, right? Well, we, but here's the point. Well, he made I, me hit mine after he got hurt. Yeah. Right. Here's, here's why I say confused hope. There's four guys that I have in mind. Um, four guys. Sorry, my hand said five. Um, uh, Gallo, Joey Gallo. If he, is he the guy from last year or is he the guy from the year before? Well, here's my question real quick to follow that up. Does the fact that Carlos Correa is now here make you a little more excited about Joey Gallo? It shouldn't. But when we thought they didn't get Correa, but they tried to sell us on Joey Gallo, we eye-rolled. Now that you have them both, are you a little bit more excited about Gallo's potential just because of lineup protection? I, maybe. I think being in Minneapolis in a small market is going to do as being much anywhere as else. anything else. Yeah. But, I, I mean, Gallo, if he performs, right, there's some hope. Uh, if uh, what we saw out of Miranda, if that's not a mirage. I love that kid. But I hope he's that good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's your hope. If Kirilov comes back from arm shrinkage surgery... You know, but there's well, hope there. And there's another guy, you know, Fragile. We talked about the Giants last on Christmas Eve, a Christmas story. Fragile, Alex Kirilov, Trevor Larnick, both signs of being very good, both signs of incapable of being healthy. And then the fourth guy is Kenta. If Maeda is healthy, he is as close to a number one as they have. I think he's better than Sonny Gray. But there's a key element to yes. that statement, as close to a number one as they have. When you look at the twin staff, is it bad? No, I don't think it is. But is it full of number threes? Yes, yes. I think they have five of them. It is, and and that's why I, I wrote that down. They have six, two, three, and four pitchers if you include Ober. Well, see, I think they misunderstood the way that rotation math is being done because if you think about it, if you have a one, two, three, four, and five, I can do the math quick. That adds yep. up to 15. The twins said, if you have five number threes, doesn't that also add up to 15? Yeah, ain't that the truth? And, that's, and, and just wait till Paddock comes back. As soon as he does, we have another number three. So just so to wrap it up, the whole place. what do you think it does in terms of the Twins contending in a division that is not very good? You already smashed the White Sox on this show last week. Yep. Cleveland's a defending champion, probably going to be favored again. Detroit and Kansas City still figuring out what direction is up. Yeah, no, Kansas City's, I think, on the way up. They've got some really good talent. If the Twins pitch, they're off, their lineup's good, right? They play defense, they they can hit a little bit, but they, can't, they have to be able to pitch. And Cleveland... Their lineup is a little squirrely. They got to be able to hit, 
but they can pitch, and pitching usually beats hitting. Well, Cleveland's really excited because, don't forget, the Twins still have, for now, Emilio Pagan. But meanwhile, <laughs> the Twins are spending, or are they? They threw $200 million at Carlos Correa. He signed for like a billion dollars if you add up the three contracts during the offseason. It's all for the love of money. We love your money here in the Northland Sports Page. Stick around. We'll pay homage to our sponsors who pay us money. We'll be right back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, yeah, we do. We love everybody here on the Northland Sports page. Brian Prudhomme, Dave Cook. It is wild card weekend in the NFL. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild during this segment, part of our State of the Unions. We tackled the Vikings. We tackled the Twins. The Wild and the Wolves are next, but we can't do anything, Dave Cook, without our great sponsor. You know what an underutilized word is? Groovy. Yeah. just heard it in the song. And so I was thinking, what's groovy? You know what's groovy, Brian? I don't. Our sponsors, they're all groovy. Oh, I thought maybe you went the sidewalks outside with all the snow. There's grooves everywhere. Uh, no, groovy in the 60s meant like awesome oh, I know. and cool. I know. So this list of sponsors is groovy. I'll we'll tell you start, what, why don't you have oh, at them? Yeah, I'm going to do it right now, Brian. Uh, we'll start with Brian Bement Mortgages with Supreme Lending, Mount Royal Bottle Shop, Kohler Toyota, and Kohler Hyundai, Stewart's Bikes, Sports, and Trophies, The Incline Station, Arola Architecture Studio, Hoops Brewing, OAR Holding, Sammy's Pizza, Advantage Emblem and Screen Printing, Justin May at Messina & Associates, Avenue 45, and the Blackwoods Group. So we thank our terrific sponsors each and every week. We appreciate the ability to bring you this show, and we're having some fun here in hour number two today. Basically doing what was a January tradition, now moving to February for our country, we're told. But State of the Unions early in the year are pretty common. We're doing ours for the four major teams. Two down, two to go. Our third one up is the Wild. And it's an interesting perspective because... The Wild are doing what the Wild do. And depending upon your perspective, that's either super frustrating or if you consider about how young they are, it's actually pretty impressive too. Yeah, they're, so you, you've heard over the years about teams that are stuck in the middle. And frankly, right. the Wild were stuck in the middle for a while. Not really good, not really bad. Well, they're, they're kind so of, wait, you're saying I should have used, what, Steelers Wheel I as our bump-in song. Actually. Yes, But they're kind of in the stuck in the upper middle, right? So they're, they're pretty good. But are they ever going to be better than pretty good? They've got a horse, and they've got a couple guys who are pretty good. But they it's like they're missing a guy who can scare teams again. Like, they need a center with Boldy who can make stuff happen, right? Um, but without those things, you know, they're really good. They're good enough to get to 100 points, right? Right. But are they good enough to get into the second round of the playoffs? That's the question. That's been the, the question annually. This is one of those State of the Unions that could have been on loop. It doesn't could have been a recorded like it, State of the Union. It, well, it sure could have in January. Um, but it uh, it feels like same stuff, different day, yeah. unless they do something to shake it up. And Bill Guerin has been really good at doing stuff to shake it up. Right. I would almost be certain that he's got some sort of move up his sleeve. It's Correct. a matter of who and when. But when you hear the synopsis you just gave, I think a lot of people will agree with it, but some folks will say, well, that's what's happening when you have Kevin Fiala on a different team. And Kevin Fiala's playing, playing terrifically, no doubt about it. But I don't know that it's as simple as, well, they miss him, because I think if he was there, the emergence of some of the others, we don't see it. No, I agree with you, but the emergence of others wouldn't have been needed, right? So I, th- I think that, I, I really do think what the key to this season is, the, the situation, the... Um, State of the Union, for instance, is you've got 
two things. You've got a defensive unit that is pretty good and pretty thin. You know, we complain about Dumbo. Well, if Dumbo was a six or seven defenseman instead of the three or four defenseman, we probably wouldn't complain as much. Uh, and they have an old goalie. And there are times that our old goalie plays really, really well. You see but the that, young goalie's not bad now either. No, That's but, been a nice emergence too. No, I agree. But that you're riding the old goalie. When you get to the playoffs, you're going to ride the old goalie. And so will he have enough left then? so that Gustafson can come in and play a game or two, but doesn't have to be the guy, because we haven't seen him be the guy, right? And so that's why the Wild, while really good and fun to cheer for, I just don't know if they have. They're a little like the Vikings were in the 90s, good enough, but not good enough. Right, and the other interesting way that the NHL provides us to spin things is everybody in sports media can do whatever they want with particular statistics, and the bottom line is the Wild recently – they're coming off a win. They beat the Islanders on Thursday. They play Arizona tonight. But if you look at the prior games, they hadn't won in three straight, but they had gotten points in two of those. Yep. So are you playing well or are you disappointing? Because you can say, well, the Wild are stuck in a three-game losing streak that they broke on Thursday. But when you lose and get points, it doesn't seem so bad. It's it's the part that Steve Petosha makes fun of me because I don't like the NHL because they give the participation trophy for losing. Right. No, I, I agree. I frankly agree with that, Brian, because it pulls everybody into the middle. Right. That's, that's the whole idea behind it. And, you know, for, for Wild fans, when we were an eighth seed, those one-point things were pretty important. And now that we're a two or three seed, uh, it's like, oh, man, we could get a win there and get some extra points, right? Right. And the interesting part with the Wild is, you know, you look at certain games and go, they should win that, they should win that. And for the most part, they do. And then you beg for them to beat one of the elite teams. And if it's not Winnipeg, they usually don't. <laughs> Honestly, Winnipeg is great, except for against the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, no, I agree. But, you know, the Rangers game was kind of a, a, a picture of what you're talking about. They played really well. Yeah. Um, but they couldn't beat the goaltender, right? And so that's kind of what I was getting at. When you've got the one guy that you lean on so heavily, we got to have some other people. And Zuccarello really is, is uh, he's the driver behind uh, Kaprizov. He gives him the opportunities to do those yes. things. Boldy doesn't have that. The, the thing with, and this is going to sound way off when you plug the names in, but when it goes Zuccarello and Kaprizov, I think of the way Nelly Cruz and Miguel Sano used to operate, where Miguel Sano was supposed to be the superstar, but Nelson Cruz was supposed to show him how. Now, it never panned out, but you feel like Matt Zuccarello is the veteran presence that is nursing this emerging superstar along and it's working out great if you're Dean Evison. No, I agree. And when Zuccarello goes, you're right. The Kaprizov will be able to stand on his own two feet. Well, but I'm wondering how long they keep Matt Zuccarello because of what he does for Kirill Kaprizov. Zuccarello's get... skills could go down, but I'll tell you what, he's not leaving. Yeah, he's going to get a couple extra years for sure. Absolutely, because of that relationship. The Wild just, I, I, I'm going to be, I'll believe it when I see it, that they can go on a run. I just, after they get, after they get out of the first round, you know, give me a call. Uh, because it's really frustrating to have all those super excitement, all the feelings like this is a team that's going to make a run, and then they absolutely no-show in the first round. So once they get past that, I'll give you additional credit. Right. In the meantime, I will say they are stuck in that upper mid-tier. Is this team good enough defensively? We've focused almost completely on the forwards. We've mentioned the goaltenders. We've kind of forgotten everybody in between. Matt Dumba is always hot seat discussion. Yep. We talked about you know Bill Guerin's got a move coming, we think. Is it going to involve Dumba? He's going to get interest. He always does. Are the other defensemen good enough? I mean, Goligoski, I hate to say this because I remember watching him in high school, and if he's long in the tooth, it certainly means I am. But, you know, Merrill, there aren't really defensemen that you go, I really, really like what he does. Now, they've got good ones, Spurgeon and Brodeen, but they don't wow you. They're just steady. Well, and I think that 
I think Brodeen is kind of pretty close to that wow you thing, but it's defensively. Right. The You have to be a savant of the game to be wowed defensively. Right. right. I, I think that what we've got, though, in Addison is a logical replacement for what Dumba brings. I would agree with you, and I think there's probably a little more consistency there because Addison hasn't been around long enough to take the chances that right, Dumba does. Right, right, right. Uh, the prosthetic slip there, Brian. Sorry. That's all right. That happens. The... Um, that's the thing. I think that if they get if if Dumba gets traded, they have somebody with similar strengths and similar faults in Addison. The question is going to be what comes up behind them. And and as big a Gopher fan as I am, we've been, they've been talking Brock Faber coming up and just kind of sliding in. When's the last time? I mean, Kale McCarr is not Brock Faber, right? right. When's the last time a, def, a college defenseman came in and just jumped right into the top four? I, I just can't really remember it except Makar, and, and you can't use him as an example because he's a generational guy. Well, and he didn't win the national championship, and you told me during the break that you know Brock would be up right after the Gophers win the national title, and I said, oh, man, we got to wait 10 years yes, for him now? That's going to be disappointing. And truthfully, it was like you've been sitting on that for years. Yeah, because as a lifelong a, Bulldog fan, the Gopher darts are easy for me to throw. Yeah, but <laughs> that one came out like you've been sitting on it waiting for me to say something like yeah, that. Yeah, there was, was a instantly. bit of a bump set spike to that one yes, without question. absolutely, absolutely. The other question, though, too, and Minnesotans, again, I use this phrase a lot, watch your own bobber. We're pretty good at it. We point fingers or we praise our own team. We don't talk about opposition very much. But I think in this division you have to because right now the Avalanche are struggling. Yep. I don't think anybody doesn't think that the Avalanche on paper are still the best team in the league. No, I agree with you. I think that um, they get that benefit of the doubt. Right. Until somebody proves that they're better than the Avalanche in the West, the Avalanche are the best team in the West. It's amazing what a championship can allow you to do because we mentioned the NFL playoffs don't have the Patriots or the Packers in it. You hear a lot from Green Bay fans this week about, wow, it was a great season. They came all the way back from 4-8. and eight. They just didn't get it done. And they'll be all over us if the Vikings go one and done. But if we do it to them, it's just blasphemy. So apparently a, a championship trophy gives you the right to say whatever you need to. But the Avalanche have been in that last game, that last set in the West right. quite a bit. And and so think about football teams that do that. You know, with the Buffalo Bills, we see them as really, really good. But they've only made the championship game. Right. You know, the Chiefs are that way as well. They, they made the one run, absolutely. But other than that, they've kind of actually, that's a pretty good comparison to the Avalanche. They've gotten really close to the pinnacle. And they've reached it once. Well, Colorado's gotten really close to the pinnacle and reached well, it once. They want to, yeah. We see the Chiefs as like this dominant force. So it's kind of the same thing sport to sport. It's interesting because the reason I bring that up is because the eternal question, it seems, at the Minnesota Wild is can they get out of the first round of the playoffs? And it's way too early to talk about that. They got to get there first. We got borderline half a season to go. But it depends on what kind of seed or matchup they could be looking at. And that is going to be affected by what is Colorado doing. Can Dallas maintain this? Winnipeg, again, I'll say it till I die. They're great as long as the Wild aren't on their schedule. Mm -hmm. The Blues, for whatever reason, still absolutely own the Minnesota Wild, in my opinion. Yeah. If you can avoid those matchups as long as you can, I like the Wild chances a little I, bit better. I just can't get super excited until they get out of the first round. I, I, I and they've know. done it before. I guess maybe we should increase that and say once they get out of the second round because they haven't done that since something called J.S. Jaguar shut them down. Yeah, I, it's... I just can't get too excited about their playoff opportunities until we've seen something, right? And so we need to see something. Well, and I think it's ironic that we do the Wild and Wolves together, and I think Wolves fans will be appreciative of that, and Wild fans will probably be upset because there's no question that historically the Wild have been better. But I think when you look at this year and our State of the Union theme here, they're very similar in the sense that they win a few games and you go, now they're going to get rolling. Here we go. We've turned that proverbial corner. And the very next game after you say that, you go, thud. They can't do any of this. And for some reason, as I say, the Minnesota Wild are kryptonite for the Winnipeg Jets. 
Somehow the Detroit Pistons are kryptonite for the Minnesota Timberwolves. What is happening? It it more it, to me it feels like when you know when you watch high school hockey and a team that's historically good thinks they can toss their jersey out on right. the floor and, and just you, be there. Yep, and it feels that way with the Timberwolves. Although it shouldn't be, it still feels that way. You know, you laugh at me because I say bring back Patrick, Patrick Beverly at whatever cost, right? Um, it's because of games like that. Beverly would not have let them lose to the to uh, Detroit twice. twice. And so I, I just think there's this level of immaturity with that team, even though they have some veteran leadership, it seems that the combination of Ant and D'Lo and Cat when he's around just really don't have that. And, it, and Ant, it's definitely because of lack of experience, but they don't seem to have that finisher, right. you know, that person that'll end this game. And I think that's what they were hoping they were going to get with Gobert. Not that he would score 40 points, but when you needed three at the end of the game, he was going to be the guy to finish it. And it just doesn't feel like right now that that core group has any finishers in it. I think that's accurate, but are you feeling any better about the Rudy Gobert transaction? Because when they were really limping along, and granted they still are, it's still a sub-500 operation, but they were really laying some eggs. And outside of the Detroit games recently, they haven't. They got a nice win last night over Phoenix, which if you watch the game, and looked at Phoenix, they looked a lot more like the Orlando Magic with that blue and the weird logo, but I digress. But I feel like Rudy Gobert is playing better, but it may not change the narrative. Not that Gobert wasn't a good pickup, but the narrative has been that Gobert with Towns doesn't work. Is it just irony that we've seen Gobert play better when Towns has been gone? I don't know if it's irony or if it makes sense because what we have now is we have Gobert feeling settled into his role. Correct. And Um, how much will it change when Towns returns? If you and I were doing this in Phoenix, right? We would be saying the same things about Phoenix that we say about the Timberwolves. They Booker's gone. They don't seem to have a finisher, and they think they just toss their jerseys out against the Timberwolves and they're going to win. And uh, you know, the the Timberwolves just bit the Phoenix Suns, right? And that that so the point is in the NBA, any team can beat anybody if the if the better team just no shows, right. and that's what's happening to the Timberwolves. They play lesser teams, and it's like they're like, okay, well. We might lose to the Knicks, but this is just Detroit. And then they go out and get hammered. Well, and you could give them you know, a bit of a pass because of the injuries that they do have and say, well, just beat the teams you're supposed to. But again, the point you just made, losing to Detroit twice doesn't qualify as doing that. But a lot of people, I think, will say, well, tread water until your superstar trio is back. I'm not sure that that's fair because, again, I think this team in terms of flow looked worse with Carl Anthony Towns on the floor. I'm not saying that that's 100% his fault. But systematically, they seem to do a better job of keeping the spacing on the floor better without Carl Anthony Towns. But I think it's because with Gobert, Cat's playing a weird version of a four different than what he has before. Well, and and one of the big things that happened at the beginning of the year, I thought, is that when the ball hit Gobert, it stopped. Right. right? There was no motion. It was the abyss. And quite frankly, they were looking for him too often. He was not brought here to be a big offensive threat. Right. And since then, since he's come back, the ball doesn't seem to stick quite as much. So when Cat gets back, because Cat doesn't cause the ball to stop, right? So if he keeps moving the ball and they the rest of the team continues to play like they do, here's a question though, Brian: Is D'Lo even going to be here when when Cat gets back? I'm not sure he is. I don't think he is, and here's why: because we talked about Bill Guerin probably has a move up his sleeve. We hope that the Timberwolves brass does too, because they need more shooters. I know you'll want it to be Patrick Beverly, and it could. Maybe they make multiple moves because Chris Finch has basically publicly said. We benefited from Patrick Beverly this way, this way, and this way. It's not often you hear a coach talk about a player not on his team and basically say, I covet that guy at this moment. 
But I don't think not, it's shooting, though. I think it's leadership. Well, for Pat Bev, it's certainly not shooting. Right, right, but right. I think overall, their biggest problem is they don't have enough shooters. Yep. And if you can get one, and it might be a bit of a lopsided trade because it might not be the talent level of D'Lo, but D'Lo's not staying here long term. Nobody thinks that. Right. So if you can at least get a sharpshooter, even if it's one that comes off your bench for D'Lo, I think you do it. Yeah, and and not to say D'Lo hasn't shot well this year. He he really has. The problem is is that he's streaky as all get up and. He doesn't add anything besides that. And and I, it's hard for me to say that because I like the player. Right. But on, on the team, the way it's set up right now, he's kind of a passenger and not a driver. Well, the thing is, the identity of the Minnesota Timberwolves historically, and by historically, I mean maybe the last five years, has been Carl Anthony Towns. The last two to three has been Ant. Truthfully, in the way they play, the identity is D'Lo because this team is the mark of inconsistency. Who else is that? Yeah, right. And And... Again, Delo's done nothing wrong as far as uh, as a basketball player person, right? Human being has been really good. Delo seems to be really good around the community and all those things that you look for. And I talk about all the time in players that I want to see. But the guy on the court, I mean, it's not, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about Matt Dumba, right? The comparison isn't terrible. On the court, he's a little frustrating. Off the court, he's a leader, right? And so... You got to make sure that you you either have somebody to replace that or the person you're trading for has some of that ability too. So can they be a postseason team beyond making the ten team tournament? Can Goodness they get gracious. further like they did last if, year? If they play hot enough to get into the get into the playoffs, they're going to be dangerous in the playoffs because they'll have to have turned a corner to get there. Right, they have to get somewhat better when Carl Anthony Towns comes back. You can talk about the way that the flow gets disrupted, but you look at the stats; he's a star level player. Yep. There's no way you bring him back to your lineup and somehow get worse, but. Minnesota Sports History tells me they'd find a way. <laughs> we'll find a way to draw some lines when we come back. Our final segment on the Northland Sports page. Stay with us. Back up. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On the Northland Sports page, one final segment, a little drag in the line from Tommy James and the Shondells. We're going to draw some lines. That's courtesy of the OG, our first of many sponsors. Yeah, let's start with them. Aurora Architecture Studio. You know, they've been they've been not just along for the ride, but they built the uh, they built the sled that came along with the ride. Right? Absolutely, and to pay homage. Ryan Arola, Arola Architecture Studio, that's basically become my winter jacket. I wear his logo everywhere I possibly can. Absolutely. They've been just fantastic to the show. If you need work done in the architecture world, there's just nobody else to go see if you're a fan of the show. Hoops Brewing, OAR Holdings, Sammy's Pizza, Advantage Emblem and Screen Printing, Justin May at Messina Associates, Avenue 45, The Blackwoods Group, Brian Bement Mortgages with Supreme Lending, The More Royal Bottle Shop, Kohler Toyota, and Kohler Hyundai. You can reach them at KohlerToyota.com at KohlerHyundai.com, Stewart Sports Bikes and Trophies, and the Incline Station. Absolutely. We appreciate each and every one of our sponsors allowing us to do this each and every week. And yes, it is a weekly show, and I'll be honest with you, Dave Cook, there are weeks where I benefit personally from this only being on once a week, and there are other times where I go, God, I wish we were a daily show or multiple times a week because there are some pressing topics that you just want to talk about. And for drawing lines this week, we got to go all the way back to Monday yeah. because college football's national championship game was played 
And to summarize the game, that's really all you can say. Yep, it was played, and it was nowhere close to a good game. Yeah, technically a game. Really, it was a Georgia 65 practice. to 7. Yep. We've had some bad high school broadcasts in our years doing games on this particular station because some teams just don't match up. But in a national title game, you don't anticipate that. And it kind of set off some fires on social media. Yeah, you think uh, Saban was one of those guys stoking the fire because Alabama would not lost to Georgia by 60. Right, and that became the low-hanging fruit take for a lot of people that, well, see, I told you TCU didn't belong. I hope you're happy with the national title game you got. I understand that, and I get it, and I understand wanting to watch a valuable title game, have a memorable game, and we didn't get that. But what did I say to you right away? Michigan, feel free to take care of TCU then, and you be in the title game. The semifinals were awesome. And the final sucked. That's nobody's fault. That's nobody's fault, 100%. And, you know, here's the thing about Michigan, and we talked about it last week. Michigan beat Ohio State on five big plays. Right. Right? The rest of the game, Ohio State dominated, but when the chips were on the table, Michigan was throwing 50-yard passes. They were having 70-yard runs. Well, against TCU, they didn't do that. I don't think Michigan was worthy of the number two seed, except they beat the teams they had to beat. And Ohio State just... Gave up too many plays, which put Michigan in that spot. TCU was hot. Right. Um, and so what you saw was the better team that couldn't pull off big plays against a team that just kept rolling. Well, and we and forced then Georgia Michigan kicked the devil out of them. Right, but we forced Michigan to shoulder the blame because that's how TCU got in. But let's be honest here. If Ohio State wouldn't have made Blair Walsh from 27 look like a good kick, Georgia doesn't get in either. Right. Well, and if, and if Ohio State beats Michigan, we get well, to see that Ohio State Georgia team. So in truth, champion. we could play if, 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 and go back quite a ways. That's what we've been doing the whole time since. So the debate for me, and particularly for you, because you wrote this out, now becomes, how do you fix this? Now, personally, I don't think there's any fixing to be done. Your title game stunk because the team that nobody wanted in there snuck their way into the championship game. That is what it is. And you're always going to get somebody complaining, well, this team, this team, or this team got in. Whoever's just on the outside looking in is going to have a reason to complain in always. Every tournament. But you went ahead and said, well, let's make it 16. You're having some fun with this. We're drawing lines today that way. Yeah, and so stop me when you get to a, a fantastic matchup in the first round, right? Because Georgia LSU, LSU was hot and cold all Geographically, year Geographically, it would be awesome, but yeah, otherwise you, not so much. Right, and so then the 2-15 team is TCU and Oregon. Oregon's probably the better team. They right. were hotter at the end of the year. But TCU, again, had obviously they were the number two at the end of the year. Well, before you go too much further, I think we're already begging this question. You're going to get a blowout somewhere, whether it's where we got it in the title game on Monday or the format you have with some lopsided matchups. So are we all going to be mad that the playoff has a blowout? Are you okay with it in a subsequent round of the championship? My point is that there are four supreme teams in the in the college football. Right. And Alabama is one of those four and they didn't make it this year. Right. Right. But. What you have is 10 to 16. I mean, two years ago, the Gophers are rated like 12th, and how did they right. finish? I'll let you continue, but my complaint is don't complain about the fact that the title game stunk. Don't complain about the fact that TCU got in. Complain about the fact that TCU didn't lose when you thought they would. Right, and my point is is that you need to look at the first round and stop me when you get to a good game because your, your uh, three, uh, three seed is Michigan-Kansas State. Like, Michigan should win that game ten nine well, and a half times out of ten. But didn't we just say, oh, I don't know, New Year's Eve, that Michigan should win this game, and they didn't? 100%, but we're talking about a playoff. They, that seems like a, a lopsided game, right? So the 4-13 game is maybe one of those good ones, and that's Ohio State and Clemson. That would Clemson be a great game. historically has been a very good team. Last year, it was one of their weaker teams. So the 5-12 team is Bama-USC. 
Okay, so USC has traditionally the best that's a great game, right? USC probably have the best player on the field, and the Alabama problem, has the next twelve. Yes, or exactly twenty, right? Yeah, and that's one of those games that Bama would embarrass. I think Bama would have embarrassed USC, especially if they got into a playoff. Okay, all right. So the so that was five twelve six eleven Tennessee and Florida State. Tennessee was broken at the end of the season. That's a good game because Tennessee was broken. Well, and Florida State was one of the more underrated programs all year long for me. So that would have been a fun game. So now we get to 7-10. Penn State and Utah. All right. That, to me, sounds like a pretty good game. That's actually a great game, and I think traditionally more people don't know enough about Utah to realize how good it would be. I may have picked Utah in that one. All right, so the 8-9 game is Washington and Tulsa. Eh. How did Tulsa get in this mix? Right, because of their last win, right? Right. Um, so what you got is you've got... All the all the games are these eight nine games. Who, if you were going to have, if you're going to expand the playoffs even a little bit, you're not going to get those teams anyway. Now I have to ask you, and Tulsa maybe creates a great segue because you just named off sixteen teams, and if it's one of these teams does not belong, it's not TCU in that equation. It probably is Tulsa. But I brought this up to you earlier in the week when I said we got to talk about this, even though it's going to be you know six days in the rearview mirror by then. Why do we get? Our nose is out of joint when it comes to a TCU playing in a football game. Yet, if you look at the NCAA basketball tournament, these underdogs become darlings. The Florida Gulf Coast, the George Masons, the Weber States of the world. You know, all these different teams that nobody would heard of until March Madness gets here. And we love them. But then TCU destroyed our traditional huffy-puffy title game. And, well, we can't have this. Why? Well, because you've got, you've got five teams in college football that get all the five stars, and it's a 22-team, it's a 22-player game. In basketball, if you get a couple guys hot, it, you're still going to have real talent, and all of a sudden, if the, if the better team throws their jersey out and things start to roll, you get that hot three-point shooter. Okay, so let me flip the question. You had a number one team blow out TCU, yeah. as many expected. Now, was it fun to watch? No, I watched about a minute and a half of a 65-7 to seven football game. I think that's about how long. I texted you and said, well, Georgia's just better. Right, and I turned on a different program at that point and actually caught the end just to see the final score and went, whoa. But So I'm going to flip the question. I'm going to yeah. use basketball as a comparison again. So we had a blowout. You have a lot of blowouts in the opening round of the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. too. Now, I get it. The easy answer is, well, it's easy. It's not for the title. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. A North Carolina could blow out a Florida Gulf Coast in the final four as well. Mm-hmm. Why but, don't we get the uproar there? Well, because in the the NCAA basketball tournament is built around that, right? And for every Florida, but the selection process is the same. Yeah, but hold on. For every Florida Gulf Coast that gets into the eight seed, there's five years of teams that don't. Right? right. So every so often you get the miracle team, and frankly, this year the miracle team was TCU. Okay, so I'll give it to you this way then. So if for the next five years, let's say they don't change anything about the playoff. Let's say they stick with four teams. And let's say for the next five years, you get your Blue Bloods. Does nobody talk about this game five years from now then? Is it just hot this week? Right. That is 100% what it is because it's an eye roll. That's actually what annoys me about this. But here's, here's my question. All right. So let's say we bump it to 16 teams. Okay. Which, which, by the way, I like, and I've said this all along, D2 and D3 play a terrific tournament. Why doesn't D1 do it? When you've got this gigantic one-month gap between Thanksgiving weekend when it ends, yep. the regular season, and basically Christmas when bowl season starts. So top 16 teams, we've seeded them, right? Okay. So stop me when a team isn't going to have a right to complain. Okay. A a 10-3 and three Oregon State team is number 17. Uh, Notre Dame is number 18. Okay. A 12-2 and two Troy team is number 19. I'll stop you right there. I need to know Troy's strength of schedule. 
I'm just saying they they were 12 and two. They're not going to care about that. They're going to say they're 12 and two. How come they're not in the top? 16? Right, but what was it? Wasn't it Central Florida or South Florida, whoever it was, yes. that proclaimed themselves the yep. national champion? And we went, okay, but who'd you play? Right, but if there was a top 16, they would have had a, okay. an argument, right? Okay, Mississippi State. You don't think Lane Kiffin would have complained that they were? Well, <laughs> that might uh, have to do with the personnel so, more than the program. So here's the team where I think they can stop complaining. Okay, and that's UCLA. UCLA plays in the pack and and they were nine and four. Well, once they're in the Big Ten, they can complain all they want. Pitts after that, South Carolina, Fresno State was ten and four. You know, there's going to be people from Fresno State that said, "Hey, wait a minute, a uh, nine win a nine win team, a ten and three team made it into the uh, final sixteen. Why can't a ten and two team or twelve and two team make it?" I just think, regardless of how many teams you have in it, you're going to have all the same arguments that we have right now. About, oh, that's not fair. Alabama didn't get it. Well, and I think you're right. So maybe to morph the end of the show here in drawing lines, we need to change this because I understand the complaint of, you know, getting geared up for a national football, you know, national title contest in college football and having it be the dud that it was on Monday sucks. And I won't argue with anybody who feels that way. But the semis were great. But the people that went crazy about, well, this is what happens when you put TCU in. Okay, if you were absolutely right, Michigan should have done it first. And I don't think you would have got the same amount of complaints because the season would have ended on a higher note. So nobody wants to watch a 65-7 to football game. I don't care what level you're watching. Mm -hmm. That's a bottom line. So what do we want to see for a college football playoff? Do we want to see 16 teams like you've got it? Do we want to see four? Do we want to see eight? Well, I think the best point of this whole thing is when you said they don't do anything for like three weeks. Right. Since they don't do anything for three weeks, we'll put another round in there. So now you've got eight. Okay, I think eight. But then the nine team goes crazy. Or, again, you have to be okay with the number eight team getting blown out by the number one because it would be the same thing. It would just be two rounds earlier. You're correct. That's exactly all those things you just said are what you're going to have to put up with it. But you're you're never going to make anybody happy. And now with the name, image, and likeness thing, which is a whole different topic, I think the top of the line is going to get more and more solidified, except it sounds like Miami and Florida have other companies handling the NLI. Is this a situation where we just need to drag out the leather couch and realize that negatives are just always going to be that way and going to be louder? Because let's say the Vikings lose tomorrow. I hope not for many obvious reasons, but oh my goodness, the amount we're going to hear from either non-Viking fans with the fraudulent narrative Mm -hmm. or Viking fans that are just waiting for the other shoe to drop and when it does go, see, I told you they're terrible. Well, was it really terrible? I mean, was the college football season terrible no. because of how it ended? No. No, it was actually a really good college season. Right. And again, I was the guy that said, you know, I'm kind of frustrated with Kirk, this empty stats guy, and so I wanted to change quarterbacks. The one thing we need to take out of this season is that Kirk Cousins showed that he had that gene that I told you for five years he didn't have, and that's that clutch gene, which if they lose tomorrow, we still have to remember that Kirk Cousins – for all the complaining we've done in a year, and I've been one of those guys. Played the way everybody begged him to play. that he, he earned his money this year for the first time. And played under another new offensive coordinator, just like Gopher players will do. I want to close Goodness with that for gracious. just a couple minutes. P.J. Fleck is beloved for the most part. Extended again. Has made this program relevant. Yet, a lot of his assistants don't want to stick around. And the one that's baffling is Soraka going to Rutgers. Yep. Same position, same conference. Why? Well, the, like I was telling you uh, before the show started, it sounds like his daughter just graduated from out east. Okay. And he's buddies with Shiano. And so if he wants to be out east, it makes sense that he went. The one thing I want Gopher fans and people who, who just like to pick on the Gophers, 
So the running back. This isn't coach, hockey, so that's not me. The running backs coach became a head coach, right? Right. The the other guys that have left all took significant advances. So all of a sudden, PJ's got a cool tree. Is that's what you're saying? my point. Yeah. Maybe they're not leaving because they don't like PJ. Maybe they're lo- moving because PJ's put them in a spot to be successful. And you know that's the Gopher Homer in me. So right. if you were if you were talking the other direction, you'd say, well, for Gopher Homers, you know. But I I think that. PJ has created an atmosphere of, of winning and expectation. And so my hope is that he brings in offensive coordinators from the Mac into and turning them into position coaches. Right. And then they move up the ranks. So here's my question because you played football and I've only broadcasted a ton of it and never touched the gridiron for yep. many obvious reasons. So to replace Chiraca, the Gophers are going with co-coordinators. Word is one of them is going to call the plays. So my question of someone who is uninformed in this case what does the other one do? Well, <laughs> is it good cop, bad great cop? Question. I mean, honestly, no. My my thought is that together they're going to work on game plans, and as the as the week goes on, and the one is focusing on play calling, the other one's going to be driving home the different things they're going to be doing. But I don't like it at all. Uh, what I think you have here is kind of what we just talked about. I think you have. Simon, who's back into a position that he wasn't all that good in last year right. or a year before, right? And now Harbaugh is kind of the new guy who is getting a little bit of a bump from the head coach. But is this the right time to be a new guy? Because they could have a competent quarterback who I'll say they haven't had in half a decade, right. and they won't necessarily have a stud running back where they've had one for half a decade. Although they did just get a guy. Who, I know. I mean, the the thing PJ does with filling spots is really interesting. I think they're going to be fine. I do think that split offensive coordinator can hold them back, though. It is very interesting. Not unlike this show, one guy calls all the plays and the other one does all the good information. Brian Prudhomme, Dave Cook, we are done for today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Dave Hoops. Thank you to Justin May. Thank you to everybody listening. A lot of good basketball, a lot of good hockey. There's a lot of sports to see this weekend. Yeah, Saints won last night. They got a great offensive hockey team. Their first line is fun. If you got nothing going on tonight, come to Mars and watch them play Eau Claire. Get on out and support local sports. We always do. We're the Northland Sports Page School Vikes. We'll see you next weekend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.